Uh, corny jokes. Um, I thought this was funny. These are bulletin bloopers, and there's a couple of them I thought were cute. One is, ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things which aren't worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> Another one. The low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7 p.m. Please use the back door. <laughs> this is the final one. Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She's also having trouble sleeping and requests the tapes of the pastor's sermons. <laughs> I hope I'm not a sleeping pill, but uh, we'll find out in a few minutes. Hebrews chapter 12 is just a great portion of scripture. And when you find Hebrews 12, we're going to read those first two verses. Stand with me. We'll read Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And when you find those, stand. And if you're not able to stand, don't worry about it. Love having the babies in here, don't you? I do. I, I started my first church to the military in the Panama Canal Zone, and we didn't have anything. We met in the building, and we didn't have a nursery or Sunday school. And uh, so people carried their babies in. And I, I know there's been times I've held my own kids during services, and I was the pastor. So the kids never bother me, and they cry. Hey, babies, we're born to cry. And so they're fine. We're happy to have them here, and we're hoping to get our nursery geared up here soon. But just keep praying that this virus gets out of our lives, you know. I, I was listening to Brother Frank this morning. I know you're standing waiting on me to read so you can sit down. But we're, we're talking, he was talking about Matthew 24 and 25 and all those signs that are being fulfilled before our eyes, a pestilence, which is, includes disease and race wars, you know, ethnos, nations against nations. And, and we want to get this behind us. But, you know, we, the Bible says men are going to wax worse and worse in the last days. It's not going to get better. Uh, I'm praying for Brother Mike, uh, one of our four uh, candidates is a believer, and I've heard his testimony, Brother Mike Pence, and he's a, from a Baptist church, a good Christian man. I just pray that he has influence in our world. You know, I, I, vote, I vote for babies and for Israel and all those things, and this is the most difficult election in my lifetime. I've heard that time and again, but as we see the last days, but thank God he's in control, and whoever God chooses allows, it may be Nebuchadnezzar, it may be a Daniel. I don't know. Well, there's not a Daniel on ticket, but, uh, you know, we do know that God's sovereign. So thank God for that. All right, let's read together. I need to shut up. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. Lord, we need you every hour. And we need you more this hour than we did the previous hour because, Lord, we know that the world is coming to a close. And we know that one day you're going to say to Jesus, and we hope it's today, come, Lord Jesus. You're going to say, go get your bride. And he is waiting now with anticipation that the bride's not ready yet, but it may be shortly. And I, I wish by the end of this message, or even now, Lord, that the bride would be ready and, 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 and Jesus would come. Bless us now as we look in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who were about ready to quit the race. I mean, they were discouraged. There's quite a few quotes in Hebrews from the Greek Old Testament, you know, the one that uh, Enoch, not Enoch, when uh, the eunuch was on the chariot and Philip jumped up, said, do you understand what you're reading? He was reading Isaiah 53 out of that Greek translation and, and he explained to him Isaiah 53. There's a lot of quotes from the LXX here in Hebrews. Um, it, it's, it's, it's smart to say that the best commentary on the book of Hebrews is the book of Leviticus. And vice versa, Leviticus is also uh, a key in understanding uh, Hebrews. So it goes both ways. The key word in this book is the word better. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the angels. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the priests. He's better than the kings. He's better than the covenant. He's better than the sanctuary. And he's, he's, a, he's a better sacrifice. He's better in every aspect our Lord is than the Old Testament lamb. And we know the authorship is unknown, and I emphasize that because we don't have a greeting like we do in all of Paul's other books. I personally I believe it's Paul, but it's not a thing we would break fellowship over because we don't have the normal greeting by Paul. Some believe Luke's the author because all the medical words through the book, the Greek words that uh, are used by Luke and never used in any of Paul's other epistles, and because people have questions about that, I brought a page out of my seminary notes, uh, my notes from the book of Hebrews back there, and there's a little bit about authorship. You can study that if you want to later. But God didn't tell us who the author was because evidently he didn't feel it was important that we were to know that specifically. So while I believe it's Hebrews, I mean, while I believe it's Paul, it's not that important because we just don't have that answer. Amen. We do have certain things that we stand on, and when Scripture says something, we always stand on that. But uh, we know that, we know that uh, it's an awesome book, a book that speaks to those Christians about to quit the race. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. First of all, we see faith's definition. Faith's definition. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it goes on to describe faith in the next two Verses, we understand, verse 3, that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Isn't that something? Uh, did you know there are three planets that spin backwards in our solar system, which defies the whole Big Bang theory? You know, the Big Bangers say, well, you know, everything's spinning because of the explosion, but three planets spin the opposite way. And I didn't mean to get into that, but when verse three, we hear the words were framed by the word of God. God spoke. And so we, by faith, believe that, don't we? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. The evidence lives in us. So we have, first of all, the definition of faith. Then we have the, the delegation of faith, beginning in verses 4 and following. We find all these great names. We know Abel worshipped by faith. Enoch walked by faith. Noah worked by faith. We call this the hall of faith or the hall of fame of faith. You know, all these people are listed, and I've written down in my Bible all these different names um, in chapter, and I need to uh, uh, just point out a couple things here in chapter 11. We see here in Enoch, then we see uh, Abraham, Abel, we see uh, Abraham, Enoch, and all these different men listed, Noah, warned, and, and we see Abraham, verse five, 8, I mentioned him too early, and all these different men in the hall of faith. And in that, we find people have made every kind of mistake you can make. Isn't that something? 
suicide, murder, you know, all these different mistakes. What does that tell us? It tells us that we too can walk by faith and we can be heroes of the faith today, even though we've made mistakes. I remember preaching on uh, Mother's Day one time on the virtuous woman and a lady said, how could God ever see me as virtuous? And I said, because God sees the blood. He doesn't see your past. And we can be virtuous Christians for God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we have here the delegation of faith. Then we get to chapter 12 and we have the determination of faith, this race. This race mentioned in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, uh, we, we know that um, the word wherefore starts this passage out. And as you know, there were not chapter divisions in the scrolls. We've added those for the English reader. They weren't in the scrolls, so the ch number 12 wouldn't be there. And the word wherefore, if you look at your text, is a connecting word. It connects chapter 12 to chapter 11. And chapter 11 is all about those witnesses that have gone on before us. And so most scholars agree that people who have died and gone on uh, can see us and see us live our lives. They don't see our sin evidently. They don't get discouraged about it, about the when we make mistakes. But somehow we believe they can see us based on this passage. Now, we're not dogmatic about it, but most scholars agree and I've heard stories and testimonies, and you have. I heard about that young boy who was a football player. His dad was blind. His dad died. The next game, he played the greatest game ever. And the coach said, what happened to you? He said, well, it's the first game my dad could see me play. And so that's interesting and fun. But, but we do believe that these people that have gone on before us can probably, I believe, most certainly see us live our lives. We know from Luke chapter 16 as well. There's other reasons for that. But wherefore connects these chapters? So Paul says, seeing we're so compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who would Paul be talking about? The cloud of witnesses that are all around us. And, and that's why I say that we believe those witnesses, many martyrs, are there viewing our lives. In Luke chapter 15, verse 7, there's an interesting verse. It says there's joy in the presence of angels when one sinner comes to know the Lord. It doesn't say angels are rejoicing. A lot of little verses we misquote. I've heard people quote things. I've heard someone say, well, I want the Lord to restore the joy of my salvation. It doesn't say that. It says the joy of thy salvation. Here it says there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. Angels, Scripture tells us, don't even understand salvation. So who's rejoicing when one sinner gets saved? We know the Lord is, but I believe these saints that have gone on before us, or maybe my parents and grandparents, maybe when they see one of their grandchildren saved or great-grandchildren, they rejoice in heaven over that. I don't know that. It's my opinion. I, and, 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 and I have some strong scriptural backing for it, but it's not as absolute as some people would like it and some people disagree. Say, no, they can't see us. But I believe they can. And I'll let you go home, pray about that, and, and you decide where you stand on that. It's, it's, it's the rest of our text is so crystal clear. But I believe they can see us. That's my opinion based on this passage. But so, first of all, we find the witnesses around us in verse 1. And then we find next in verse 1, the race before us. The race before us. And notice what he says. He said, lay aside. Lay aside. Wherefore, since we're compassed with all these, surrounded by these witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin. And we'll go on about that in a moment. 
Weight and sin. There's a distinction there between weight and sin. And they're separated. Weight, sin are separated by the little word and. But we go over to Colossians chapter 3. I want to show you how else it's translated. In Colossians chapter 3, the Greek translated here, lay aside. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8 is translated here, put off. Colossians 3, 8, which says, but now you also put off all these, and he names all these different sins. So we lay aside or we put off things that hinder our race. Back to our text. Notice here. Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. The word beset means to ambush. But here the word, uh, the, the word weight is actually a word that has to do with excesses. It could be excessive fat physically. Or it could refer to any other excess physically you're carrying. Maybe a backpack or you're carrying a book bag, or you're carrying some lumber. It says lay aside those things. Physically, we understand that, but this application here is spiritual. He's talking about the race in the life for the Lord. We've got to lay aside all the things, all the weights that may hinder us. Now, it's not wrong to uh, carry lumber or a backpack, obviously, and in our spiritual life, it's not wrong to do certain things and have activities in our life. It's not wrong to watch TV, but that excess can become a sin if we're not careful and we're watching too much TV. I know on New Year's Day, I used to feast on football all day, and I always wanted the meals to fall at the halftime, you know? And I would watch football starting from noon all the way to 12 o'clock at night, 12 hours. And then someone pointed out that I may be watching a little too much football on New Year's Day and not spending enough quality time with the family. Watching football's not a problem, unless you're a Tennessee fan yesterday. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, watching too much TV, then what happens? That thing which is not wrong becomes what? Sin. You see, going and, and lifting weights. I've had friends, I used to lift weights a lot. And, and now I just lift a fork. But I, I had a friend that was into bodybuilding to an extreme. He'd work out four or five hours a day. Wonder why his wife is frustrated with him. Lifting weights or working out or exercising is not bad. Shopping's not bad. Uh, you know, golfing's not bad. Fishing's not bad unless you go with Bryce. And all those things aren't bad. We went fishing last week. We didn't get a bite. But anyway, those things aren't bad. They're not wrong. But when we do them in an excess, they become sin. So notice here, mark your Bibles. Here he says, lay aside or put off, we could say, every weight, those fine things that become sin, and sin. So the weight and the sin. Obviously, he wants us to get rid of sin. But you know, a lot of people don't realize those weights we're talking about become sin. And there are people bogged down in their Christian race because they have things in their life in abundance they need to get rid of. Excesses. So we lay aside these things because they ambush us, is the word beset. They ambush us. You know, we have the shield of faith. And that shield, they used to dip their shields in a liquid to, so when the darts would hit the shields, they'd go out, the fiery darts. Satan, he throws, shoots darts at us all the time. One preacher friend of mine called him the willies of the devil instead of the wiles of the devil. 
But he has them, and he's always throwing them our way. I mean, envy and fear and, and, and you know, negativity and depression. I, I know some people get so depressed they don't realize depression is sin. Did you know depression is sin? I preached a whole message on that one time and still have the notes somewhere. Because I know people get depressed, and they don't realize they're sinning. Because depression is a lack of faith that God's in control and that God's going to work it out. Discouragement becomes sinful. If you're not careful, you don't, you don't trust in God. Anger and all these other things. Here he says, we have to, we have to watch it because we're going to be tripped up. We're going to be ambushed by, by the devil. And we, we can't fear the unknown. Some of those things are the unknown. John says, these things have I written unto you that you may know. You know, I know the Lord. I know he's in my life. And I have confidence and I depend on that. I don't always understand the unknown. I'm over a little mission, and the guy who started the missions in his 80s and struggling, I thought, well, he raised all the money, but the money all comes marked for his personal support, and that's our general fund, but when he goes away, when he goes to be with the Lord, if he precedes me in death, what happens then? All of a sudden, we don't have money to operate the general fund. And my secretary, who's a wonderful lady, is 72. I thought, now, Lord, I don't know how to do what she does. So I think about, oh, no. Last night it hit me in bed. I was laying in bed. What, what, about, what am I going to do? And they probably think, well, what if I left? You know, we all think like that. And then I think, is my, is my financial situation going to be good enough when I retire? And we start to think those thoughts. Well, if God's taken care of me for 64 years, I don't need to worry about those things. But see, the devil, he's always throwing these thoughts in our head, you know. He makes us insecure and angry. He, he causes us to be envious. And all these things hinder us in the race. And in Scripture, we're, cared, we're compared excuse me, to so many things. Think about this. We're compared to a child, to sheep, to a house, to a temple, to a farm, to a pilgrim, to a soldier, to a bride, to a body. To a branch, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We're compared to all kinds of things. And an athlete, a boxer, a fighter, and a runner. And here he's comparing us to a runner. Not everyone's in the race. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, they which run. In other words, lost people aren't in the race. They're not in the race. And sometimes believers have, you know, crossed the boundary and fallen into sin. I remember running track. I didn't like track because it involved running. So I high jumped and ran the hurdles. There were only 60 yards. But the coach made us run, run, run. I hated that. But when you were in a race, you, back then you had to stay in your lane, you know, and you couldn't cross over. Nowadays in distance running, you can cross over to the inner lane when you have a clear path. But there were rules for running. And you had to obey the rules or you'd be disqualified. And sometimes we make mistakes and we break the rules, you know, you know, there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Did you know that? 248 are positive. And to remember the amount of negative commandments, how many days are there in a year? 365. There's 365 negative commandments, meaning thou shalt not. Did you know you've broken every 10 commandments? I have not. I've never killed anybody. What does Jesus say if you hate someone? He's as good as murdered him. He says, you know, if you hate him, you've murdered him. And if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So 
look at the list and, and guarantee that you're guilty of all of them, you know. Uh, you know, I was talking to an Adventist, I uh, was with an Adventist last uh, week up in Pigeon Forge and talking to him, and I wanted so bad to get into a real animated discussion because he believes he keeps the law, and some of them don't. Some of them have some freedom in the Adventist church. I don't understand the difference, but I know a lot of Christians that are Adventists, so I'm not picking on the church, but we disagree with the fact that we have to obey the law. We don't believe we have to because the handwritten ordinances were nailed to the cross. And years ago, my pastor was friends with a guy by the name of H.A. Ironside of Moody Church. My pastor would be like 115 if we were alive today. But, and they were in Chicago, and an Adventist on, on Saturday was throwing wood in the fire to keep the building warm. Uh, because, you know, they, they meet on Saturdays. And H.A. Ironside said to the, to the man heating the fire, he said, uh, what are you doing there? He said, well, I'm warming up the, you know, the house of God. He said, but you're not supposed to build a fire on the Sabbath. You know? I mean, do you know when you start your car on Saturday, you break the Sabbath? Because there's fire in that piston. Right, Wayne? You see, there's so many things they violate, they don't even realize it. And I'm not picking on that. What I'm saying is, any violation of any of the 365 commands condemns someone to hell. Someone says, well, I'm a pretty good person. And I don't do my, many bad things. It only takes one. But it's actually the sin of unbelief which condemns you to hell, right? But you're a convicted sinner by all accounts because you commit one infraction. And yet we've broken them all, haven't we? Well, we have to lay aside the sin and we have to get back in the race. We have to obey the guidelines. Look what the text says. And we are to run the race with, run with patience, excuse me, the race. And notice the word patience. Draw a line down to verse 2 and the word endure. They come from the same root word. To be patient is to endure. You ever have relatives come over or people come over to your house and you have to endure it because they're not your favorite. Now, I haven't had people over to my house in a long time I don't care for, but there's been times in my life, wow, we in the military, we had people at our house every Sunday. And some of them believed that I went to bed at three in the morning because they wouldn't leave till three in the morning. So I would say things like, honey, let's get to bed so these people can go home. You know, things like that, uh, you know been a real pressure having you here, you know, I'm joking, but you know, you understand endurance, but this is much more severe, this matter of patience or endurance, because you're going to write this word in your column. It says, run with patience the race, right under the word race, agony. The Greek word agon is what that word is. So the race is agonizing, agonizing. I think I said that 10 weeks ago, but you need to write it down now because we're in the passage that clearly spells it out. The race is agonizing. You know, living for God is not easy. It's difficult, isn't it? Trusting him, the world, well, they'll just go out and cheat the government, get a disability check. And I'm not against disability checks for people who are disabled, but I was... 
my son bought me a membership to the BX, and I was working out there last week, and a lady came up and began to talk. And I mean, she was one of those that talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. <laughs> and and she, I said, well, what, what do you do? And she said, well, I don't work. I'm disabled. She had just finished the sit-up machine. She was doing all the men's machines, the leg press, and then she did the, you know, the bike, and, and she did everything in there and talked and talked. But anyway... And I, I said, well, I said, you're disabled? Yeah, yeah, I, I got in a car wreck 20 years ago and hurt some vertebrae in my back, so I, I, I have a disability check. And I thought to myself, man, she's in better shape she's, than most people I know, and she's getting a check. So you see, the world can manipulate and get things, and we have to pray. Our God can supply, but we don't need to cheat the system. And let me just say this again. I'm not against disabled people getting checks, and neither are you. Of course, you know, I'll be 65 next year, and I'll get my Medicare card, and then one day I'll draw my Social Security. But I've earned those two things because I've invested, and so have you. So it's not wrong to take what you've earned, and I don't think it's wrong to take disability. We actually pay into an insurance program through the government that provides that. So I want to reiterate that because... When you preach like this, someone's sure to come up and say, I'm disabled and I don't appreciate the comments. It's not about you. It's about depending on our conniving, earthly, worldly ways rather than dependence on God. And we need to depend on our Lord, and he never lets us down. But the race here is agonizing, agonizing. And, and so we have... So many things here. We, we see the, the, uh, the ambush. We see the agony. But fortunately, we see the author in the next verse. Let me just read this to you. A guy named Joe Saldano uh, was in my church at one time. I can't even remember what church and who Joe is, but he wrote a poem one time, and I like these two, these two little sections of it. It's not, the light, it's not a life of leisure, the road on which you trod. There will be trials and heartaches as you try to live for God. Your work down here on earth may be without applause, yet you should know one thing, you are vital to God's cause. God uses us, and he wants us to run the race and run it well. He wants to utilize us to use us. He doesn't have to have us, but he considers us valuable. Remember the pearl of great price on Sunday? We're valuable to God, and we're vital to his cause. I mean, if we fall off in sin, he can raise up another and he can get the job done without us. The great thing about God is he chooses to use us. And then he rewards us. And then we can take those crowns and give them right back to him, you know, one day. But it's amazing to me. I, I pray sometimes, Lord, thanks for using me in spite of myself. <laughs> you know, that I can preach his word and be a blessing to someone somewhere. Thank you, God, because I don't deserve it. But yet, he uses me. And, and he uses you as well. So we're thankful for the fact that he uses us. And he is indeed the author. We have the witnesses around us and the race before us. And then the king above us in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, you know. The author and finisher. The author. Look back at chapter 2 with me. Chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2 and verse 10. Great verse here. The last line talks about the captain of our salvation. The word captain, 
is from the same exact Greek word, captain and author. And we could say other things. We could say he's the founder. So you mark author in 210, the last line, the captain of our salvation. That's the same word. Back to our text. So we, here we find, looking at a Jesus, the author. Now we can call him the pioneer. Years ago, I watched a movie series called The Centennial, and I loved it. I mean, it's been a long time. But it was about pioneers that went west and all their, about their story. It was a series that could have gone on forever, and then they shortened it at the end. It had kind of a weird ending. But, you know, it was great for weeks and weeks, and I just thought it was so cool, and I liked those kind of shows. But they were pioneers who went west and made great discoveries. Jesus is a pioneer. He's the author. We could say he's the founder. He's the originator of faith. He's the founder. Look at this text again. He's the author, founder, and finisher. Isn't that something? He's the originator of faith, and yet he's the one who finishes faith. It's fascinating to me. He's run the race. He's the champion. He's the captain. He's all those things. Now, we're going to go over to Genesis chapter 15. Important, important passage of Scripture, Genesis chapter 15. In fact, this is probably the most important, all God's words inspired, but this is probably the most important verse in all the Old Testament as far as I'm concerned because there are so many great principles in Genesis 15, 6. And we'll, we'll park there a while, as the old preacher said. But let me explain something to you as you look there to introduce this passage. We have a, a rule in Bible interpretation. That word hermeneutics is what means interpretation. So in Bible interpretation, we have certain rules. And one of the rules in that is... When you find the first use of a word, that meaning carries throughout Scripture. The word faith and the word believe, as you know, are the same words. That word then would carry throughout Scripture. Did you know salvation has never changed? There are hyper-dispensationalists which say, well, salvation's changed. Under the law, you had to keep the law to be saved. No. It's always been faith. They believed in a Messiah to come. They didn't know his name. The proverb says, what is his name? What is the son's name? They didn't know his name, but they knew a Meshach, a Messiah was going to come. And they had faith that that Messiah would come. They didn't know was, would be, his name would be Jesus, but they had faith in a coming Messiah, and that saved them, that salvation faith. They weren't saved by keeping the law. No one could keep the law. <laughs> and you try to live by the law, the Bible said you'd die by the law. I mean, disrespectful teenagers were taken out and stoned. I mean, I'm glad we're not under that, you know? I'd have been dead when I was like 13. Thank God for grace, amen? And by the way, this has nothing to do with the message, but be a person of grace. You know what grace is? It's forgiving others. Be merciful towards other people. Don't live a life of, I gotcha. And I'm going to get even, and I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to bury you. No, that's not what the Lord wants from you. He wants you to be merciful and gracious. Right now, someone's just come to your mind who you haven't been as merciful and gracious as you should be towards them. Make that decision today to forgive that person. You, you, will, always have, you will always have the emotional attachment. You, you may not get over the emotion of that hurt, but you can make a decision God, help me to forgive, to be a gracious, merciful person. But anyway, 
We're looking at a first principle here. And in Galatians chapter 15 and verse 6, there are three words used for the first time in the Bible. This is awesome. Three words used for the first time in the Bible. Now remember, Abraham, I keep going to the verse and I deviate. Abraham, remember, was saved by faith. And Abraham lived long before the law even came to existence. How did he know God? God appeared to him. We've said that before. Moses came later. I mean, Abraham lived five to 600 years before Moses, before we ever got the law. But he knew about a lot of things because he knew about tithing, Melchizedek. He tithed the Melchizedek. The Lord appeared to him in his tent. He knew about the Lord. Abel knew about the Lord. You know, Abel was dead, but then his, his Seth knew about the Lord. And we know that, that he appeared to Adam and Eve and clothed them after they sinned. The Lord appeared in a personal way. But back here, look at verse 6. And it says, and Abraham, we're talking about Abraham, he believed in the Lord. Now, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this remember the Bible was written originally in Hebrew, the Old Testament was. But in the Greek translation, it's the same word, pistos, which is translated faith and believe in the New Testament. So here's a first usage. This Hebrew word is awesome. He believed in the Lord. He had faith in the Lord. Now, stay, keep your finger there and let me read Job 15.31. I'm going to read Job 15.31. You can look it up later. Of course, Mike's always got a copy of my notes. I think Bryce always does. And I'm going to, uh, Job, before I forget, chapter 15, verse 31. I'm going to read you just a portion of the verse. Let not him that is deceived trust in vanity. That word trust is also translated from that same Hebrew word. Trust, faith, believe. Now, most of the time, the word trust is a different word. In fact, you only find the word faith twice in the whole Old Testament. But you find the word believed a lot. But here's the first time any of them are found. Now, Abraham believed the Lord. And look what it says. It says, he believed the Lord, and, he, and the Lord is Yahweh. You see the four capital letters there. It's not, Elo, it's not Elohim. That's, that's God. It's, it's not El Elyon, it's not in it's it's Yahweh. But anyway, he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him. That word you find throughout the Bible is translated often reckon. The word reckon over in Romans. The word reckon, it's also uh, the word impute. Imputed. So what happened? He believed the Lord and righteousness to go on to say was imputed on him. It was placed on him. Isn't that awesome? God takes my sin upon himself, puts his righteousness on me, simply because I believe. I didn't even do anything, and I'm righteous because I believe. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was imputed or reckoned, it was counted in him for righteousness. Did you know something else? Abraham was not yet circumcised, but he was still righteous. There are people that the equivalent of the New Testament is baptisms. There are people that say, well, can't go to heaven unless you're baptized. Malarkey. My dad's old word, malarkey. Abraham's a type of that. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized. I'm thankful for baptism, and I wish we'd start baptizing the people. We need to get some people saved. I'm going too fast. We need to get some people saved. Trust, trust God to save people and start witnessing so we can start baptizing. But, but baptism's never saved anyone. And circumcision wasn't what saved the Jew. 
That's a false teaching. It was their faith. Abraham was not yet circumcised, but he had faith and righteousness was placed upon him, imputed upon him. And the word righteousness, the last word there is another first usage. So believed, counted, and righteousness. First time in the Bible for all three of those words. The word righteousness is also translated just. Righteous and just are from the same word. In the New Testament, they're used interchangeably. Did you know you're just as if you'd never sinned if you're saved? Did you know if you're saved, you're right with God? You're right and you're just as if you'd never sinned. Because God placed, he imputed righteousness upon us. And you can consider yourself, reckon yourself dead to sin. No longer has dominion over you. You now sin because you choose to. You used to sin because you had to. Now you sin because you choose to. And I shouldn't be smiling. I should be going like this. We sin because we choose to. We enjoy it. It feels good. Then afterwards we regret it. But sin is fun for a season. But thank God he's imputed Righteous, he, he's count, he counts me as righteous because of my faith, just like Abraham. Now we go back to chapter 12. We will still go to two more verses, and I'm about out of time, but I'm still going to finish what the Lord laid on my heart. Chapter 12, we go back to it. He says, he's the author and finisher of our faith. There's the word faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Oh, wow, he endured it. He endured it. He, he, it says here, then despising the shame. That's an interesting phrase, despising the shame. Look at Daniel 12, and then we're going to go to Isaiah 50. First Daniel 12. Two more verses. We'll come back here, and we'll be done. But go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. I think about enduring, enduring while you're turning to Daniel 12. When I was in Panama, we had quite a few missionaries in Panama, but up on the northern coast, there were some New Tribes missionaries. New Tribes is a great organization. They're translators, and they go and teach languages. But there were three of them just shortly after we left that were all murdered, you know. I mean, we talk about the race being agonizing. They were martyrs. I mean, they died during the call of duty. I mean, they died while serving the Lord on the mission field. But I heard one writer say that sometimes for believers it would be easier to die than to live for God. We're supposed to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That may be agonizing sometimes. And death would seem like an easy way out. Because we're ready to die. Amen? I mean, hey, if the Lord called me home today, don't feel sorry for me. I wouldn't want to come back. I love preaching here, but, and you can tell that, but you know what? I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> I'm with him. I mean, you know, let, let's, let's realize that, that, that that's far better. But sometimes living can be harder than dying, can it? But those guys died, they gave their life. But anyway, Daniel 12 too. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, rapture. Or when he raises the, the dead from all ages at the second advent, he'll, he'll raise. Now, it, there's time between the resurrection of life 
And then it goes on to say, and some to shave in everlasting contempt. There's time in between that. But my point is not about eschatology this morning. It's about this word shame. Some to shame. It says Jesus despising the shame. We're going to go to Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50. But think about this, this matter of despising the shame. The Lord did not enjoy bearing the shame of the world or the sin of the world. Do you know he bore the sin and the shame? Do you know there are people today that commit suicide because they don't want to face people when they're caught doing some awful thing? People are caught maybe as a pedophile or they're caught raping someone or they're caught doing something bad and they're embarrassed to face their family or whatever. And what do they do sometimes? They end their life. Shame's an awful thing. And do you know Jesus not only took your sin, but he took your shame. It's like I told you last week, I took the night crawlers and stuck them in my dad's, in my dad's waders and I went out fishing and forgot they were in there. I wasn't supposed to use the waders and I put them back in the gun cabinet and the whole basement stunk. I was a little ashamed when my dad pulled the waders out and <laughs> headed my way. Oh man, I got caught and I'm ashamed. And there's other things a lot worse than that. I was more ashamed about that I did. Shame's a terrible thing. And people, as I said, take their lives over it. There's no doubt. There's clear testimony to that. There are clear accounts of that. But Daniel chapter 12 mentions some to shame. And then we go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50. And this is a prophetic verse, a messianic prophetic verse. meaning he's talking about the Messiah of the future. And it's talking about Jesus. And Isaiah says here, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. This is Jesus. What did they do? They ripped his beard off. Years ago, I was at a church up in, um, uh, in Middle Tennessee preaching. And I arrived, and the pastor looked at me kind of funny, and I could tell something's bothering, and I preached, and it was just a great meeting. And he said, I, I don't know why I let you preach. He said, why? Because you had, you had a mustache, and I'm against facial hair. And I thought, did he ever read the Bible? Jesus had facial hair. They ripped it off. They ripped it off. And notice, that's not my point again. I'm rambling. They plucked off the hair, and then what does he say? I hid my face from shame and spitting. He hid his face from shame. That's prophetic about Jesus. You see, he bore the shame. He didn't like it. It says despising the shame, but he bore it on Calvary. Your shame for your sin. He wasn't the one that committed sin, but he became sin. And God looked upon him, didn't even look upon him. The Bible said he turned his back. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God turned his back on him. Because he was sin. And so Jesus bore the shame, the embarrassment of being exposed as a sinner. And the whole world's mocking him and they're spitting on him and they're beating him. He bore that shame. The word's also used in Luke 14 in a toned down version where the Pharisees came in and sat in the best seats and they were asked to move because they weren't important enough for those seats. And Jesus talked about their shame. But the shame Jesus bore is much more severe than that. And then we look back and we close with this little phrase, Bible says despise and shame and is set down at the right hand at the, of the throne of God. You know what? He's finished. He finished it on Calvary and he could sit down at the right hand of God. I love it on the cross, those two little words, the three little words. It is finished. Once for all, he paid the sin debt. I don't have to offer a pigeon dove or a bullock 
or a ram or a lamb. It's all finished. I don't have to offer a flower offering or a meat offering. It's finished. I don't have to burn candles of incense and burn prayers of the Lord. I can get on my knees and access that throne boldly because he did it once for all and it's finished. Let's close with this. You know, Christians of the early church were thrown to the lions. You know that. You've read that. You've studied your history. They were given a sword and then lion after lion would attack them. And the the arena was filled with witnesses. I mean, they're all around him, and they're all cheering for the lions to rip him apart. And here are Christians with that sword and all these lions, and the crowd is cheering against him, and there's an emperor up there, a king who didn't even care. He's, he's enjoying the amusement. But clearly, folks, we're in an agonizing race, and we got to get rid of the sin and the weight, because the Bible says, 1 Peter says, Satan is a roaring lion is attacking us. They knew about endurance, and we need to understand endurance, and we need to endure because, you know, we're in an arena, but the great thing is that we're on the winning side. We have the sword of the Spirit, and we have witnesses around us who care, and we have a king who's up there with compassion. He's on our side, and we're going to win no matter what happens because we're winners. We're triumphant in Christ. We're more than conquerors. Let's endure. Let's endure. Get rid, folks, of the sin in your life that's hindering your walk. And get rid of those excesses, those things that become sin because you just spend too much time in them. And, 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 and give yourself to God and run this race. Endure. Be patient and run it faithfully, depending on Him because He's the answer to everything in life. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, if there's anyone here who's not saved, I pray they come to be saved today. And God, if there's anyone here that says, I, I don't run the race successfully, I get sidetracked, I break the rules, I violate, I sin. Maybe they're having a hard time with some of the wiles of the devil and, and, and maybe the roaring lions got them defeated and they'll say today, I, I need the Lord to carry me when I can't run. He'll, he'll carry me across the line. I don't know what in your life is right or wrong, but God does. And I pray you come. God, we just ask you to just speak to hearts throughout the week about this matter of running the race, of winning the battle, because we are, in a, after all, in your presence. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Invitation him just as I am. Just as I am one
message, brother. Great message from the Lord this morning. I know I needed it. Church, we're all running. We're all running. Just to, It's up to us to determine which direction we're going. Amen. Amen. I hope we're running with Jesus this morning. Let's close in a good word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your church. Thank you so much for your messenger this morning. Thank you so much for filling your man with the message your people needed to hear. God, I pray that you keep us safely as we go and bring us back to our places tonight at 5 in our appointed time of service. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. See you tonight at 5 o'clock, church.